engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Well, well, well. Uh, guess what? They worked their ass off and the handle team won. <laughs> Y'all, the despondency of the left today is something to behold. I mean, they it is amazing to me how quickly they just decided that this race was meaningless. How quickly they decided that there was no lesson to be learned from this race. This was the race that meant everything. This was the race that was going to show the resurgence of Democrats in suburban white districts they need to win to beat Trump. And... Oh, the tears of unfathomable sadness. Mm, yummy. Yummy, you guys. Listen. There is a, there are a number of lessons to be learned from this race. First and foremost, most significant lesson to be learned is when you find a novelty candidate to run for office, what you need to do is make sure he lives in the congressional district in which he's running. Chris Chandler and I talked about that last night on the radio when we were doing this coverage. The, the number of people that we both encountered who they didn't talk about either candidate's health care policy. They didn't talk about either candidate's tax policy. They didn't really even talk about the president. They talked about John Ossoff doesn't live in the district. He's a carpetbagger, they called him. You know, the, the South is still sensitive to the term carpetbagger, and even the, the immigrants from Yankeeville who come down here tend to pick up on it and, and try to reject the idea of carpetbaggers. And they saw John Ossoff as a carpetbagger, rightly or wrongly. The fact of the matter is John Ossoff uh, was born in that district, but it didn't matter. Didn't matter at all because he didn't live there. I mean, this essentially was a $30 million engagement effort to get John Ossoff to marry his girlfriend. That is essentially what this entire race was about. I, I hope they still get married. God bless them. You know, Rodney Stokesbury is Jim Galloway. He brought this up last night on the radio. Rodney Stokesbury. This is the name you should know to put this entire race in perspective. In 2016, Rodney Stokesbury was the Democrat who challenged Tom Price. Rodney Stokesbury is the Democratic nominee for the 6th District of Georgia in 2016. And in November, against Tom Price, spending less than $1,000, he got 38.3% of the vote. Now, that's considered the baseline. You know, there was a girl, Angela, Alice, I can't remember her name. There was a lady who years ago, um, back in the, the early 2000s, she ran for the uh, Public Service Commission. And she spent no money. None. The Democrats spent a ton of money. This is when people knew that Georgia was flipping to the GOP. Oh, I cannot remember her name. Uh, Allison, Angela, I can't remember. Anyway, um, she spent no money on a statewide race against Democrats who did spend money on the race, and she won. She became the baseline metric for partisan turnout. What I mean by the baseline metric for partisan turnout is you take a race 
where a candidate does absolutely nothing and how much did they, how many votes did they still get? So in her case, we knew in the early 2000s when I was doing political consulting, we knew the state of Georgia had decisively shifted right because in counties that had long been Democrat, she was getting over 50% of the vote. In some cases, 60 to 70% of the vote in counties that were completely Democrat. And she was getting 60 to 70% of the vote. And we knew, having spent nothing to get that amount of money, the state had shifted. When those rural Democratic counties in Georgia were voting for a Republican who they did not know and they spent no money and they went down the ballot, that was our baseline for the GOP. And we knew the state had turned Republican uh, before Sonny Perdue even got elected. Here, the baseline Democratic turnout was 38.3%. 38.3%. Some lessons to be learned here for the Democrats and the Republicans. Angela Spears, thank you. I knew it was Angela. Angela Spears, great person, by the way. Uh, Served with distinction on the Public Service Commission. Uh, Spent no money and got elected. And she she was the red flag for the Democrats. She was her race showed the Democrats they were losing their grip on the state. And you will recall that when that happened, the Democrats in the legislature tried to do crazy redistricting. Uh, to try to preserve their stronghold, and they couldn't do it. Uh, they it got thrown out by courts. They lost, and Republicans have been in power ever since. And I don't think, by the way, uh, that the Democrats are going to win in 2018. If anything, this race with John Ossoff shows them they can't. Listen, the, the, the base level turnout for Democrats, obviously, Rodney Stukesbury sets that level. He spent no money, and he got 38.3% of the 6th Congressional District. John Ossoff spent $30 million dollars. million. And he only improved 10%. That is maximum Democrat turnout in the 6th Congressional District. Maximum turnout in the district. The partisan composition of that district in the worst case scenario is that it is 48% Democrat. The Republicans turned out stronger. The Republicans did good. Uh, They ran a conservative campaign and they focused on get out the vote. I know a number of you called in over time and you were wondering, why isn't Karen Handel challenging these ads? They're all over the place. Why isn't she challenging Ossoff's ads? You know, Chip Lake, a great political consultant, a fantastic guy. He actually noted that one of Ossoff's problems is that he was too overexposed with the ads. I mean, you're running ads on WSB uh, attacking Karen Handel, conservative news talk, uh, Republicans listen. You're just reminding people there's an election. He, he overplayed his hand. You know, one of the other things that the, the Ossoff campaign did is they got very cocky at the end. In the last two weeks of the election, they expanded their door knocking. They had started with Democrats and they got all the Democrats on board. And then they went for persuadable Republicans. They tried to find, listen, this is very clear in a race that Tom Price won by by 20, 30 percent. And the president only won by one and a half percent. Clearly, there were some dissatisfied 15 percent or so dissatisfied Republicans. And in fact, it appears to have played out last night to some degree. Now, the polling was was right. Uh, 10 percent or so of Republicans, 10 to 15 percent, uh, did wind up voting for Ossoff. They found those persuadable Republicans and converted them, and it still wasn't enough. So what the Ossoff team did is they started going to Republicans. They, they headed up to Johns Creek. They headed up to Milton. They headed up to Roswell and Sandy Springs, and they were knocking on Republican doors. They were trying to get kids who lived at home with their parents. 
and it didn't work and it made the parents mad and the parents went out and voted. They, they knocked on doors of Trump voters. They reminded Trump voters that there was an election. They, they, they played it too clever by half and it didn't work. It hurt them. But let's be honest, uh, looking at these numbers now, it, this is a Republican district. This is not the purple district some people pretended it was. This is not the purple district that some people reckoned had happened. This district did not have the demographic shift. I, I tend to agree with Jim Galloway that uh, it's pretty obvious at this point that no one was going to beat a Republican in this district. It is a Republican. The Democrats miscalculated. And you got to start wondering, are they good at running elections anymore? And I don't mean that arrogantly. I don't mean that partisanly. I don't mean that being cocky. Just they've lost now more than a thousand seats. And they've lost four special elections in a row. Do they know how to do this? And there are also some problems for them. But before I go to commercial break, I do want to say one thing. This was a race where, yes, there were accusations, yes, there were attacks, yes, there were bits of nastiness, but the candidates themselves uh, were very respectful of each other, uh, and John Ossoff did not run the nasty, take-no-prisoner, scorched-earth campaign that a lot of Democrats wished he had run. A lot of Democrats claim he would have won if he did it. I don't think he would have. I think the data shows he wouldn't, but he should be commended. He was a, a graceful Democratic candidate, and given the political climate, he may be the last graceful Democratic candidate we see for a while. I will obviously take your calls as well. Your reaction to last night, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Okay. We got to move deeper into the 6th Congressional District because lessons are there to be had. One of them is Republicans should not get cocky. Because the president, listen, Tom Price did win this district by 20 points. That is about the only valid Democratic talking point is that uh, Tom Price won by about 20 points. Karen Handel, you got 52% of the vote. It was close. There were Republicans who voted us off. But the counter I would make to that argument, which is, again, is, is really only the, the valid argument, is that the Democrats should have known better. They should have then known that this district wasn't worth spending $30 million on. If Donald Trump could still pull it off, it shouldn't have been a, a, a race for them. They shouldn't have squandered their money. And now that's $30 million they don't get back. That's $30 million that doesn't go to any of the swing districts in New York or Virginia. It's $30 million that doesn't go into any of the swing districts in California or Illinois. And then look at the South Carolina 5 district. The South Carolina 5 district, uh, nobody spent any money there. The National Republican Congressional Committee refused to spend money there because they didn't like Ralph Norman, the Republican. The NRCC was perfectly willing to let the Democrats take that race because they did not want to help a guy who said he would join the House Freedom Caucus. And the Democrats came close within three points. And the moral of the story there is that if Democrats could fly under the radar, they might have a better shot at these things. But they built up the profile of this race so much that they fired up the Republican base. They did two other things that they should not have done. One, the Republicans did, and one, the Democrats did, and it really hurt John Ossoff. When we come back, I will tell you what those things were.
It is 539. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB. There are some lessons to be learned in the 6th Congressional District race. If people want to learn them. And some people don't. Listen, one of the things about races like this is that national reporters who know nothing about a place like Georgia, they parachute into the district two or three days before and then pretend to be experts. They talk to a couple people at a local Panera Bread or something, and and suddenly they're the expert. And not exactly the best way to cover it. See, it's clear from this race that this was a Republican district, and it wasn't as purple as it could be. But there are a couple of other lessons to be learned, and the Democrats have actually more to learn than the Republicans. But Republicans do need to understand that there are people out there who who are Republican or who have been Republican in the past who are willing to vote Democrat despite the president because they don't like the president. Um, there were some. When you go from Tom Price winning by 20 percent to Karen Handel winning by four or so percent, there, there clearly is a drop off there. Now, she got some of them back um, because the president actually underperformed Karen Handel. Uh, Ossoff underperformed Hillary Clinton. So there is you, you do. If you're a Republican consultant, you need to be mindful of that fact. But that's about the only lesson the GOP needs to learn right now. The Democrats need to learn a lot of things, one of which is guess who's more unpopular than Donald Trump? That would be one Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, a liberal from San Francisco, you've actually got members of the House Democratic Caucus today so upset about Ossoff losing, they're calling for Nancy Pelosi to resign. But, you know, there's a larger issue here. You know, Donald Trump is seven years younger than Nancy Pelosi. And he's the oldest leader of the Republican Party right now. Stinny Hoyer is older than Donald Trump. And then you drop down into the House yeah, Paul Ryan is in his 40s. Steve Scalise is in his early 50s. Um, Eric, um, Kevin McCarthy's in his early 50s. Um, no, I think Scalise actually is in his late 40s. Um, all, all of the major Republican leaders in the House are in their 40s or early 50s. All of the Democratic leaders, even beyond Nancy Pelosi and Denny Hoyer, they're, they're in their 70s. You got a huge demographic gap there. I mean, for God's sakes, the leader of the Democratic Party right now, Bernie Sanders, is as old as Methuselah. Oh, and he's not very popular in the 6th District either. Um, people don't particularly care for Bernie Sanders in the 6th Congressional District, and, and that hurt Ossoff. Tying him to Pelosi and Bernie Sanders was a big deal, and it hurt him. Another lesson to be learned, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, is, is find a candidate who lives in the district. But then a really big lesson, and, and I, I want you to be very clear here because I don't want you calling and yelling at McCall Screener about this. John Ossoff did not do this in district. John Ossoff did not run a campaign against President Trump in district. He didn't do it. He ran as a moderate Republican. But Democrats nationally made this race about impeaching the president. Hollywood liberals told people they needed to give money to John Ossoff to begin the impeachment process. They campaigned for him on impeachment. Out of, out of area, the Ossoff campaign took advantage of that. The, the Ossoff campaign tried to have it both ways. When no one locally was looking, they were part of the resistance. When people locally were looking, they were just a moderate Republican having to run as a Democrat because of circumstances. That's that's big deal here. Big deal.
If the Democrats try to run a national campaign on the president being needing to be impeached, they're going to keep losing because even a number of Republicans who don't care for the president are going to be emboldened to stick with him because they believe in the Constitution and they don't see that the president has done anything to be impeached about and that the Democrats are just just still upset over the election, still upset that Hillary lost and they will rally to the president. They cannot win if they make this about impeachment. But Republicans can do something to nationalize the election. 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. The Republicans have the opportunity to nationalize this election in a way Democrats don't. See, if, if Democrats nationalize it, the only way to nationalize it for Democrats is to make it a referendum on the president. As Molly Ball wrote in The Atlantic, if this was a referendum on President Trump, he won, they lost. Which is why Democratic consultants last night started saying this race was about health care. It was never about the president's popularity, which is a load of crap. You and I both know that the Democrats tried to make this a referendum on the president and it didn't work. And at the very last minute, only in the last two days of the campaign, did John Ossoff start running advertisements on health care. That's it. There was no referendum on health care in this country. Oh, by the way, if there was, they lost that too. But Republicans can make this a national election and they can do so by focusing on the violence of the democratic party i don't think it was a coincidence that the polls before last wednesday shooting had karen handel performing worse than the polls after the shooting i don't i i don't think it was a coincidence at all it is cold and callous to say but I think the shooting by Hodgkinson in Alexandria, Virginia last week was something that activated Republican voters. It was something that focused them on the fact that the Democrats have turned violent. And they went out and voted to stop it. And there are independent voters out there who will join them in stopping it. As the Democratic Party appears more and more violent, appears more and more in your face, appears more and more angry, appears more and more radical, appears more and more less accommodating to people who have different beliefs, more hostile to people of religion, more hostile to Christian bakers and photographers and, and florists, you name it. Oh, sorry, wrong button. The more they do that, the more the Democrats do that, the more independent voters are going to shift back to the right. The Republicans have a real opportunity to nationalize this race, and the Democrats are giving them everything they need to do it. It is 55 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, back to the phones we go. Um, you know what? Let's go to Mary in Atlanta first. Welcome, Mary. Hey, Eric. Um, I think Ossoff, part of the reason that he lost is because he did not have a platform that resonated with the people of the 6th District. Um, you know, one of his main ideas was that he was going to... Um, uh, bring more jobs, scientific and technology jobs, you know, and this is an area where people are already pretty well employed. Um, and I just don't think, you know, he had anything to offer to us. 
Yeah, listen, and, and you know, I said yesterday to a caller who called in that wasn't sure, they still wasn't decided at that late time. They were headed to the polls. They couldn't make up their mind if they were going to vote for Handel or Ossoff. And, and the point I made to him was, you know, Ossoff can make lots of promises, but it, the moment he's elected, he's going to be in the minority in Congress and can't deliver on any of those promises. And exactly. that that exactly. was a problem that that he's going to have to would have to deal with. But uh, it's all hypothetical now. Um, water under the bridge, so to speak. <laughs> I read something earlier today. It was online. It, it, it was a lady lamenting the fact that her her boyfriend just he, he didn't have a job and he was kind of driftless and aimless and wasn't sure what to do with his life and on and on and on and. I, first, I wondered if it was if it was the future Mrs. Ossoff, but apparently not. Um, but you know, it really, this race wound up being a very expensive thirty million dollar engagement uh, for John Ossoff and his fiance. And hopefully, God bless them. Hopefully, they get married. Um, but that's all it was. I can't believe the guy wouldn't buy a house in the district. Would have actually picked him up some votes, probably. Nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number is 404 750 wsb talk The Game of Thrones trailer is out. The second and potentially final trailer. It's less than a month away. And I've spent my entire break going frame by frame by frame trying to figure things out. So I have no idea what to talk about. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I do have a stack of stuff to talk about. I actually filled in for Dana Lash on the radio for three hours today. I have plenty of stuff I can talk about. But there are a lot of people who want to talk about the 6th Congressional District. And so I want to go on and start taking phone calls this hour from those of you who have thoughts on the race. The phone number again, 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. I want to start first with Marty and Villarico. Welcome. By the way, if it's not raining there yet, it's about to. It's raining. Yep. All right. What I, what I wanted to talk about is you said, you know, how the polls shifted because of the shooting. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's true. And the reason I don't believe that's true is because the last two elections in Georgia, the polling has been horrendous. I mean, look, Jason Carter and Michelle Nunn, governor and senator race, and how far off the polls were with that one. And then the presidential race where they had Hillary competitive, possibly winning Georgia, and and turned out to be a fantasy. So I think, you know, the polls showing Ossoff you know, possibly, you know, tied or possibly winning were, were badly flawed. I think there's something wrong with their methodology. Well, okay. So I'm going to insult some people here because you make a good argument. And I have a recurring thought that I've articulated on the show before, and it makes certain friends of mine mad. Um, are some of the pollsters, not all of them, because there are some good pollsters out there. And in fact, the, the Trafalgar group, it's worth pointing out, pretty much got the race right uh, at the end. 
But are there pollsters out there who go with the conventional wisdom and shape their poll accordingly or shape polls to build interest? Like, for example, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the, the Carter Nunn polls because I maintain to this day and no one is ever going to be able to convince me otherwise that those polls came out in August to generate interest in the race for the media, that they were not actually real polls. And yeah, I, I mean, listen, I I have known people who will who can get a poll out, um, and it, it I think it's very possible. Now, I'm not overly dismissive of the pollsters because I I do think, for example, the national polls in 2016 were right. Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote by the polling average. Um, but you know, it, you also Marty make a great point, and I've had so many people ask me to run this clip and i think it's worth running again because you can get polls to tell you anything that you want you can shape a poll and get the polls this is from yes prime minister one of my favorite tv if you've never seen yes prime minister i can't tell you the number of times we do a live event and people come up and they've heard this clip and they say i started watching the series and you're right it's the best it really is it's a fantastic series but this explains polling. For example, there was a poll that came out today that shows Obamacare is more popular than ever. And there was another poll that came out that the public favors some obscure public policy. I didn't even know what they were talking about. This clip explains how pollsters do it. He's going to say something new and radical in the broadcast. What, that silly grand design? Bernard, that was precisely what you had to avoid. How did this come about? I shall need a very good explanation. Well, he's very keen on it. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> Things don't happen just because prime ministers are very keen on them. Neville Chamberlain was very keen on peace. <laughs> yes, he, he, thinks, he thinks it's a vote winner. Ah, that's more serious to done. What makes him think that? Well, the party who had an opinion poll done, it seems all the voters are in favour of bringing back national service. Well, I have another opinion poll done showing the voters are against bringing back national service. <laughs> we can't be for it and oh, against Of course they can, Bernard. Have you ever been surveyed? Yes. Well, not me, actually. My house. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> well, Bernard, you know what happens. Nice young lady comes up to you. Obviously, you want to create a good impression. You don't want to look a fool, do you? <laughs> no. No. So she starts asking you some questions. Mr. Woolley, are you worried about the number of young people without jobs? Yes. Are you worried about the rise in crime among teenagers? Yes. Do you think there's a lack of discipline in our comprehensive schools? Yes. Do you think young people welcome some authority and leadership in their lives? Yes. Do you think they respond to a challenge? Yes. Would you be in favor of reintroducing national service? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I suppose I might. Yes or no? Yes. Of course you would, Bernard. After all you've told you, you can't say no to that. So, they don't mention the first five questions and they publish the last one. Is that really what they do? Well, not the reputable ones, no, but there aren't many of those. <laughs> so, alternatively, the young lady can get the opposite result. How? Mr. Woolley, are you worried about the danger of war? Yes. Are you worried about the growth of armaments? Yes. Do you think there's a danger in giving young people guns and teaching them how to kill? Yes. Do you think it's wrong to force people to take up arms against their will? Yes. Would you oppose the reintroduction of national service? Yes. <laughs> there you are, you see, Bernard. The perfect balanced sample. So, we just commission our own survey for the Ministry of Defence. See to it, Bernard. That clip explains polling better than I ever could. And I, I do think, totally think, 
that there are pollsters who generate salacious polling to get headlines. I do think, though, that there are pollsters who get things accurate. And I also think that when you have a variety of polls all tending to show the same thing, it's probably not a bunch of conventional wisdom. It's probably not a bunch of people trying to get headlines. It probably is uh, something in the polls. And it appears that there were a number of people who weren't sure they wanted to go to the polls. They weren't sure that they wanted to um, get energized for Karen Handel. They weren't sure they were going to lift a finger to help. And then after that shooting in Washington, D.C., a lot of people stood up. The number of undecideds fell quickly. Number of people who got off the fence was rapid uh, as it became very, very clear what was going on, what is going on in this country. Uh, people decided they needed to take a stand. And um, I, I do think that worked against Ossoff. I, I think both campaigns know it as well. Um, that is not to say I think that Karen Handel was going to lose otherwise. I, I don't think she would have. And, and given the data now, it's very clear that this is vastly more of a Republican district than the Democrats thought it was. Uh, back to the phones. Kathleen Marietta, let's go to you next. Welcome, Kathleen. Hi. I just wanted to comment on um, his concession speech. I found it to be very Obamanesque in that he reflected not only on George's watching, but the world is watching. And that he also went so far as the hope is still alive. You know, I'm glad you said that because I, I can't tell you literally dozens of people have reached out to me and said, did you hear his speech? Yes. Did you notice how he used Obama's cadence in his speaking? The way he raised his voice, the way he paused, the way he pronounced certain words. Yeah, I, I heard that. And I was not alone. And yes, you're right. The, the themes and everything, he wanted to sound like an Obama. Listen, guys, his career, his political career, John Ossoff's, is only getting started. Had Karen Handel lost, I think her political career would have been over. His is going to be on the rise among Democrats now. And I think that speech last night was intentional. The cadence was intentional. Uh, the themes were intentional. He, he, he's on the rise and we haven't seen the last of John Ossoff. I tell you what would be fascinating to watch, though. Let's say Hank Johnson retires. Do the people in Hank Johnson's district go with his former staffer, John Ossoff, or with another black Democrat in the area? It'd be interesting to see what happens um, if you have a, a minority candidate running as a Democrat in, in Ossoff. How, how does the Democratic Party break down there? Uh, given the polarization and the identity politics, it would be fascinating to watch. Y'all, the, the, the race is just... Man, how much more can you say about this? I, I, I do want to say regarding the shooting and the the whether or not it affected the race, a buddy of mine listening texted me during the break who was involved in the race and said, yes, it didn't matter. Uh, and it wasn't one of those things that either side needed to touch. It was just one of those innate things, the violence of the Democratic Party making people perk up. And I, I, I given his, his background and his involvement, I tend to believe him. I think that's true. Uh, and it is unfortunate that that would take something to get people off the fence. But it definitely, it's a wake-up call. A mass assassination attempt is a wake-up call. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Sam calling from Madison. Sam, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Sure. Um, so I was just thinking because 
you know, obviously we saw here, Ossoff spent so much money. The Republicans have a real opportunity here because money isn't working for the Democrats. We need to get together because there are young people, like you said, like Ossoff coming up. And there's going to be a Democratic policy shift in the coming years. And while we wait for that to happen, uh, we need to really pass the things that we can because I don't think 2018 will be big for the Democrats, but 2020 Trump very well might go down. Yeah, there is a shift going on in the country, and a lot of it is, I think you put the finger on it to a degree, it's its younger, childless voters who have different priorities than married voters. And as, as more and more people don't get married, even as they live together, their, their priorities change. And as less and less people, fewer and fewer people have kids, priorities change. And, and many of the policies of the federal government, whether supported by Democrats or Republicans right now, are premised on families with kids. And you have a bunch of, of yeah, yeah, I am going to say it, selfish millennials who are growing up, who they're living together, but they're not having kids. And they want to be artists and masters of puppetry arts, and they don't want to get a real job. They can't figure out how to get out of their parents' basement. Uh, they can't put down the Xbox or PlayStation controller to spend 40 hours a week working. And they got different priorities, and they're starting to vote. And they're, they're voting for guys like Ossoff. They're voting for Democrats. I do think that the outrage over Nancy Pelosi is somewhat funny. John Podhoritz, the, the film commentator, put on Twitter that the 30-year-old lost, so the solution is to toss the 78-year-old. Yeah, I, I'm not sure they want to do that, uh, but they may. Uh, 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Them's the numbers. When we come back, got to get into the terrorist attack that happened today in Detroit or Flint. It is 38 after the hour. I got to go back to the radar here because, uh, well, there is more rain moving into the area. Carroll County has gotten so much rain. And I mean, the last four or five days, gosh, I got up there on Saturday for Father's Day and it was raining by the time I got there. Rained Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, right now, north of Buford, there's rain headed towards Gainesville. And then on the west side of the city, basically everywhere to the west of I-75, there is rain and it continues to uh, encroach into the listening area. It's not in the perimeter yet, but it is only a few miles from getting to the perimeter. Uh, and there's heavy rain right now around mcdonough south of the 75 675 connection on the south side noonan peachtree city fayetteville getting rain fairburn about to get rain douglasville heavy rain dallas uh, marietta you're going to be getting it very soon powder springs smyrna mableton you're all about to get the rain as it heads in let's go back to the phones 404-872-0750-1800 wsb talk bill in atlanta you're next welcome Hey, Eric, uh, I'd like to commend you on using the appropriate word in the, uh, in the shooting that happened at the baseball game, assassination. Yes. You've heard, you've heard the term, and it was in the last news spot, if you were even bothering listening. Uh, but it was a uh, lone gunman, uh, you know, and uh, not connected to terrorism and blah, blah, blah. But call it what it is. It was an assassination attempt. A, a really, mass assassination a mass attempt. Attack, yes. On multiple people, and uh, you know, as soon as a buddy of mine 
you know, who corresponds, uh, email and so forth. He sent, sent that to me. I was like, it's clear what this is. And you're the first person to actually say it, at least I've heard say it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like to commend you on that uh, for having a clarity of thought to do so. Well, listen, I appreciate it very much. And it has been a real frustration of mine that we have not seen a lot of people call it what it was, uh, an assassination. In fact, I there were some news commentators I saw who said this wasn't an assassination attempt, which is absolute garbage uh, trying to downplay it. Indeed it is. Uh, the, the fact that it is, you know, it's a main political figure. You talk about the Pope, you talk about a main political figure, uh, president and whatnot. And that is the definition of assassination. You pick a target. I mean, it was all premeditated. But the fact that there's not going to be a trial, the fact the guy's already dead, they don't have to use a word. He won't be right. charged with anything. And so the press is not forced to use the word, which is what would be the charges. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I I don't thank you very much, Bill, for the phone call. I don't mean this to be controversial, and I'm sure someone's going to blow this out of proportion from what I mean it to be. But, you know, there's got to be some level of relief among some people on the left that he did not survive his wounds. Can you imagine an interview with this guy? where he starts mouthing off his leftist beliefs and people realize he is of the left. He apparently visited Bernie Sanders' office before carrying out his, his assassination attempt. The New York Times, interestingly, I, and you see, th- this is one of those things where the media doesn't like to recognize these things, and I do think it's relevant. I really do, and I've got some friends of mine who disagree with me. But I think it is relevant that three days before he showed up, The New York Times published the location that the Republicans practice baseball. In the same way, I think it's relevant that the New York Times published the name of the spy who was put in charge by the CIA of dealing with Iran. And now his family's getting death threats. I I think it's relevant. And the media wants to run these stories. The Los Angeles Times, for example, running an op-ed today by some woman who is, is a member of the American Bar Association, American Bar Foundation fellow or something like that, who wants the government to be able to regulate speech, to decide who you can and cannot offend. In Germany today, uh, they have rounded up 35 different people who put things on social media the government decided was hate speech. Thank God for the First Amendment in this country, because I'd already be in jail, I got to tell you. Uh, the number of complaints this station gets when I talk about the culture war these days, the, the, the people in the transgender community who get absolutely upset when I point out it's a mental health issue, yeah, I, I would long ago have been in jail. The First Amendment is an absolute protection for those of us who say uncomfortable truths. And that, frankly, is one of the big things here is that people want to go after those who will say uncomfortable truths because it makes people uncomfortable, even if it's true. And then they want to dispute the truth. They'll get some quack to say otherwise. It's just a bunch of hooey. Thank God for the First Amendment. I got to tell you guys, I have bought a pressure cooker. I've never used one before. I remember when I was a kid growing up, my grandmother had a pressure cooker. It had a little little thing on top that swiveled and and let all the steam out. I used to think it was the coolest thing, kind of like a a, almost like a a steam engine from a train way. It it just wished around spouting steam. One time I'll never forget. She she (laughs) it blew up. There was there was 
uh, spaghetti sauce she had in the in the pressure cooker, and it stained the ceiling. It just went straight up. Well, they make better pressure cookers these days, and I just decided it's it's time to get one. I've been flipping through during commercial break a cookbook. So it, it, next time I publish a book, I guess I'll put in some pressure cooker recipes. Uh, if you want the current book that does have recipes in, including my gumbo recipe and cinnamon roll recipe you guys always want, uh, you can text the word WAKE, W-A-K-E, to 444-999. The book will be out in October. There was a terrorist attack in Flint, Michigan today. No, not not the water crisis. Michael Moore, what an idiot. He, he accused the governor of being a terrorist uh, because of the Flint, Michigan water crisis, which the governor had nothing to do with. But there was an actual uh, Muslim in the Flint airport. The guy was from Quebec. Wasn't even American. He was a uh, Quebecer from Canada. Stabbed a police officer yelling Allah Akbar. Uh, this is this comes after the you had the thing in Belgium. You had the guy trying to blow himself up in the train station in Belgium. Uh, the guy in France, uh, the people in Great Britain. This is we're starting to see a lot of these. So supposed lone wolves crop up. And, you know, I got to just tell you, I, I'm my view on lone wolves is that if you got a bunch of them at some point, they form a pack. They're not lone. And something's going on out there, and we still have a bunch of Western leaders who they were real quick to call the, the white guy who ran over the Muslims at the mosque in London, real quick to call that terrorist. They they, they were quicker calling that terrorism than they were the, the Islamic radicals who jumped out yelling Allah Akbar running over people on the bridge. That's just the reality of it. It's 55 after the hour. If you want to see the, the impact of this tropical storm making landfall in East Texas, West Louisiana, what it's doing to us, uh, the, the very outer tropical bands are what we're experiencing in Georgia right now. That's the rain we've got on the west side. Just put up a graphic by a friend of mine who's a meteorologist, and you can see the, I guess I should say Twitter friend. We haven't actually met in person, but um, you can see the bands and what it's doing in the weather if you check out the graphic he just posted. And it is encroaching now on the perimeter. Um, on the west side of the perimeter, you're going to start getting first drizzle, then some sprinkles, and it's getting a little bit heavier. The further out you go on I-20 past the perimeter but before you get to douglasville now you've got some heavy rain and then on 85 south once you get off the perimeter and you're headed down towards fairburn union city you're going to have some heavy rain there as well because of this band of of tropical weather uh, you know moving forward from here i i, I do want to give you some perspective that some of you aren't going to like because i see some of you yelling at me on social media the fact of the matter is the president does have an underwater rating in the sixth congressional district you can't say that this race was a referendum on the president because, uh, honestly, I think if it was a referendum on the president, uh, Karen Handel probably would have lost. But there's a difference between people not being happy with his job performance and people hating him. And he's not toxic. Nancy Pelosi is toxic in the 6th Congressional District. Donald Trump is not. He, he, there may be a number of Republicans who don't care for him, but they don't hate him. And a lot of the, the dislike right now is a function of the Republicans not doing anything. And you'll see that number change dramatically when the Republicans do pass tax reform, do repeal Obamacare, do put more judges on the bench. I suspect he's going to have another vacancy to fill this summer, and you'll see the Republican popularity go back up again. So don't panic about it. Uh, don't be defensive about it, but just embrace the reality. Pelosi is toxic. He's not. <laughs> 